Good morning, everyone. Thank you for buenos dias. Thank you all for uh, being here today. My name is Alan, and I am the director for a student ministry here at Reach, and I'm going to be filling uh, in for our uh, part two series of our series called Opportunities and Options. Last week, uh, Pastor Heath talked about focusing on the on the right things, laboring on, on the right stuff. And uh, one of the verses he shared with us was uh, Matthew 6.33, where uh, that reads, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Today we're going to touch on a subject that at first may not seem so profound and is very direct. And quite honestly, the, the whole book or, or letter is a, is a very direct one. One of the main passages we're going to be looking at comes from the book of James. And if you're familiar with the book of James, you know this is about to get real. You know, when I first came into the, uh, to the faith, uh, James was actually the book I sort of liked the most, uh, because uh, at that time, uh, well, to me, and especially at that time, James was very easy to, to understand. You know, James is, is very direct. That, that man did not bite his tongue when he wanted to say something. You know, you're reading along in James, and then he just simply says, hey, if you don't do this, you suck. <laughs> I don't know what version that was, but that is how I read it. So, in James, uh, we can find concepts that seem to be straight to the point and don't need much comprehension in order for us to grasp what he wants to convey. Which, in some instances, that may be true. But many times in, in the Bible, many of these concepts that seem black and white end up requiring a careful discernment and overview so that we can understand them in a way they were meant to be understood and, in, and so that we can understand them also in how they are supposed to be carried out, carried out in our lives. I mean, have you ever come up to a point in your Christian walk when you're exploring more into a theological subject and you realize there is much more to it than what you just read. I mean, there's been countless times when I've come up to a point and I've said, man, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. So, with this in mind, we are going to talk about the concept James laid out for us in chapter 2. And that concept, that truth, is that faith without works is dead faith. And I mean, that seems like a very straightforward truth, doesn't it? And in its own right it is. So why do we even need to have a message on it? You know, just, just do more works, tithe, go to church, help people, classes dismissed, have a good Sunday. The concept is straightforward. The truth is very simple. But, as we continue to read James, as we read other verses, like in Romans 3.28, and we'll dive deeper into this one, where it says, 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, in which it seems to contradict the justification by works there made right in God's sight that James talks about. And as we read more of the Bible, we find that this concept and truth is much more profound than what we just read. And before we continue to jump into, into the message, I just want to share with you one of my very embarrassing first experiences of having in front of me a, a piece of work where I was given something simple in which I needed to expand on. And this was when, when I was back in high school, many, many years ago, ancient history for some. So in one of my classes, I, I had a teacher that at the end of the year required a very particular final assignment. And he required this final assignment from all of his students year, year in and, and year out. The final assignment, which was the same one every year, was a 10-page paper on why. Now you can imagine the difficulty of this if you're trying to expand on why. I mean, what, what for, right? Why, 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 why what? So the due date is coming up, and a lot of people were stressed out for this assignment. Not me. Not, not me. Only, only the studious ones were. Not so much the, the rest of us. So it was an intense moment, but I, I didn't feel like that, and I'm going to tell you why. I had a plan, and boy, it was genius. So, you know, me being the smartest guy in the class, obviously, that's a joke. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, a more accurate statement would be me being the worst student in the class. Uh, I had already written my, my paper, and it took me about five minutes, if that. All my paper said was, why not? So we, turned on, uh, so we turned our papers in when they were due, and I tell you, I, I was elated. I, I, I felt like a man amongst boys. And my classmates could not believe that is what I wrote. I was like a superhero to them. One, one friend actually told me I was like the Hispanic Albert Einstein, so he started calling me Alberto Einstein. <laughs> A horrible joke. I wasn't sure how that was going to be received. <laughs> so after a week or so, uh, we began to get our papers back, and I don't get mine. I, you know, Mr. Robertson tells me he wants to see me after class. He, he wants to talk to me in his office. You know, in, in my mind, I was already preparing for me. I was already preparing for. I was in my mind. I was already preparing for him to tell me how my response was genius and how mystified he was by it, and that he wanted to congratulate me on it personally. You know, if that was not the case, you know, I knew I was going to get past the class. You know, I, I don't think he ever failed anyone, so I was good. You know. 
So I went into his office and we began to talk. He proceeds to tell me. He, he proceeds to tell me uh, I was the first student he had ever had to give him that response. He explained to me how confounded he was by it. You know, I said, thank you. <laughs> and then, um, in, a, in a very subtle, in a very subtle way, he says, this was very gutsy. In a, in, a, in, a, in a magnificent answer. Nevertheless, it's wrong. This is a paper meant for you to explore the boundaries of the analytical side of you, and you did not do this. So he gives me my paper back. I look at the big old F on it, and I very gracefully fail his class. So failing that class very nicely caused me to go to summer school. It was a nice summer. So that's one of the plethora of moments in my life where I can remember when maybe taking the easy way out is not always the best thing to do. It was one of the times where I should have been diligent uh, with the task in front of me, where what I was reading or what I was giving needed to be explored a bit more and definitely needed a, a deeper look than just a glance. And that's sort of how, how it is with, with many passages from the Bible in which we read and, and find many concepts and truths where there might be some more underneath it all. And like we said before, uh, James offers us some very direct commands in which there is the potential to learn more and apply it to our lives better when we investigate, uh, investigate it deeper. So after that embarrassing story I just told you, let's move into the concept and truth of faith without works is, is dead faith. And the passage from the Bible in James where we're go- we can find this is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, which reads, What good is it, my brother? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it, do, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works. And not by faith alone. 
And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Now, looking at, at this passage, we can notice three different occasions where James gives us the thesis so to speak, of, of what he wants to say. We first see in verse 17, where it says, So also faith by itself, if it, do, if it does not have works, is dead. Then verse 20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And lastly, in verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Three times in the passage, James refers to a faith without James refers to a faith without works being a, a dead faith. And so now this introduces to us a very important concept or subject: the the matter of dead faith, a faith that bears no fruits or or products. It's faith that gives us no, no evidence or, or any works. And it is a subject that I think sometimes we might tend to struggle with because we are not saved by works, but by, by faith alone. But faith without works is that faith. So without faith, we are not saved, right? And I mean, as, as Christians, I think that sometimes we hear the word works, and, and we sort of clam up. And I think it's pretty important to see that what James is talking about here, or who James is talking to, are the ones who make a profession of faith, but have nothing to show for. So let's, let's take a look at this. Uh, dead faith is pretty much a type or form of non-saving belief. It is a belief that does not save. It is a belief that brings up a person just short of becoming regenerated. And the distinguishing mark of that is the absence of something. And the absence of that something is the absence of righteous works. And, and by way of contrast, there is also a kind of non-saving works type of faith. A non-saving non faith if you will, that works in a very legalistic type of way. This type of legalistic, non-saving faith is a person who does a lot of things of what appears to be good works. But here in, here in James, we're not talking about a non-saving faith that does works in the flesh. But what we're talking about here is a non-saving faith that doesn't have any works. Here is, is the absence of any evidence of righteous works. So the person who James is referring to is a person claiming to be a Christian with absolutely no evidence. And, you know, there are a lot of people claiming to, to be a Christian with that there's enough sort of religious activity going on to make us think that's evidence. But there are also People who claim to be Christians and we look at their lives and we see nothing 
to give us any evidence that they're truly regenerated. And the, on a side note, I, I found this fascinating that the book of James, by, by most accounts, is the earliest New Testament letter to have been written. Galatians maybe being the one earliest. So this would put James at around a time where the twelve tribes of Jerusalem were being scattered. James 1.1. 1, 1, which was a time when more than likely the, the Jerusalem church was being persecuted. Right after the death of, of Stephen. And can you imagine fleeing your hometown? Can you imagine fleeing Leland or Wilmington, if you're cool? I live in Wilmington. And, and sought after because of your faith. Having to hide from, from probable death. And here you are hearing instructions from James. Nevertheless encouraging. But hearing his instructions that are incredibly challenging. And, and that's, that's tough. And certainly seeing that type of resilience and that challenge met by, by the early church is, uh, is very inspiring. So, how do we reconcile this truth of faith and, 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 and works? How do we harmonize this truth so that in our lives... We may understand it better, and by understanding it better, we can be the stewards and vessels God will want us to be, knowing His truth. Let me point you to another verse in the Bible that seems to make it more difficult for us to harmonize faith and works. And, and the verse is the one I mentioned earlier, found in Romans 3.28, which says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Which, if we go to James 2.24, we find that he seemingly says something opposite to what Paul is talking about. James says in 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so, so you get these two verses and you're like, wait, what? what? So, so who's right? You know? So in Romans 3.28, Paul clearly, clearly draws a, a sharp line of distinction between faith and works. Since all fallen sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike, fail to do what the law requires, no one can claim to find favor and acceptance with God upon the basis of works. Even if those works are as righteous as they come. Shortly after this, Paul observes that the believer's forgiveness and acceptance by God depends upon faith alone and not upon the righteousness of works in, in order that it may rest on grace alone. Romans 4.16 If works were to play a role in our justification, in our made right stands before God, then our acceptance will no longer be a gracious gift, but will be like a payment granted to an employer. The contrast that exists between faith and works can be explored, can be 
can be explored more within the context of the great religious question, how can guilty sinners be received into favor with God? Since all of us have failed to do what the holy law of God requires, we are all by nature justly subject to condemnation and death. None is righteous. No, not one, Paul says in in Romans 3.10. And justification answers that question. We We are made right. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And for this reason... Paul observes that no one can be declared righteous in in God's sight on the basis of our works. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In these verses, Paul paints a a remarkable portrait of all sinners in the presence of of God's judgment seat. In, in In the whole world, no one can be found who, by the standard of perfect obedience that the law requires is able to offer a case upon the basis of their works that would exonerate them from God's condemnation. Left to ourselves, all of us would have to acquiesce or allow without protesting to God's sentence in our lives. And none of us can speak a word on our defense to establish our innocence. And and yet, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is just that. That God does justifies. He declares us righteous to those who embrace the gospel promise through faith alone. Out of sheer grace, God the Father grants or imputes or or attributes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Through faith, we are united to Christ and become partaker of Christ's righteousness, which consists in His perfect obedience to all that the law of God requires. And Jesus, serving in our place, He endured the law's penalty in the atonement. He, uh, He successfully reconciled us to God the Father. So when it comes to our made right stands before God, faith is the exclusive instrument that finds in Christ and in His saving work a full and complete satisfaction of all the requirements of the law. Faith is is not a human achievement, but the end of all boasting. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. John Calvin, 
describes faith like, like an empty hand stretched out towards God with nothing to offer and everything to receive. When, when faith sings, it, it always sings of Christ crucified. You know, there's a, there's a, a song or, or a hymn that, that says, Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. So while we know that it's true that faith alone justifies, this does not mean that faith is ever alone in the person made right by God. There's a there's a book and uh, and it touches on on the subject like this. Though though faith may be the alone instrument of justification, it is not alone in the person justified, but it is it is partnered up with all other saving graces. It is not a dead faith, but it is a faith that is worked by love. And if we can go back to the slide that has the two, the two verses, please. So, while the grace of free justification, the, the grace of being made right in God's sight, is, is received by the empty hand of faith alone, we can't expect it to stop there. Just, justification is the, is the first um, step, so to speak, that, that preludes the next stage in a Christian's life. And, and that is sanctification. The, the process of becoming more like Christ. And then we reach glorification. But becoming righteous in the sight of God is never severed from becoming more like Christ. Christ is not given to us for righteousness without also, be, also being given to us for sanctification. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Whenever Christ indwells in our hearts, He always begins to renew us in the way of obedience to His law. In, in the fullness of His office as mediator, Christ is, is not only a priest who, whose atoning sacrifice and continual intercession assures us of our acceptance with God, but Christ is also a king who, who rules in the hearts of his people by way of his spirit and, and, and by his word. So the, the apparent difficulty between harmonizing faith and works and the apparent contradiction between the teachings of Paul and James lies in the different meanings and language that they use. When, 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 when James contrasts faith and works, he is contrasting an empty show of faith, the, the type of faith that produces no fruit, with a living faith that necessarily and without fail produces works of obedience. When Paul contrasts faith and works, when Paul contrasts faith and works, he is contrasting faith that rests in Christ alone for Assurance and of acceptance with God, with the unbelieving boast of those who will seek to obtain favor with God 
by their works. But James, as much as Paul, also affirms that faith that alone justifies is always a faith that is work that works by love. Galatians five six, and we'll look at this one in a little bit. So when James speaks of a so when James speaks of a justification by works, he is not speaking to the issue of a right standing before God and acceptance by God, which is the focus of Paul's teaching. When James speaks of justification, he is speaking of the way in which we as, 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 as believers demonstrate or prove that our profession of faith is not merely a matter of the tongue, but is, com- but is confirmed by the works that, that faith produces. I, uh, I found this, this quote by the Puritan Thomas Matton. Which, which says, By the righteousness of faith, we are acquitted from sin. And by the righteousness of works, we are acquitted from hypocrisy. Martin Luther said, said this about faith. Oh, when it comes to faith, what a living, creative, active, powerful thing it is. It cannot do other than good at all times. It never waits to ask whether there is some good work to be done. We are justified by God through faith alone. But when it comes to our sanctification, the Holy Spirit is working in us a a new way of, of obedience. And the faith and works that it produces are inseparable. We can know our works flow from true faith if we perform them not to earn our salvation, but in gratitude for our redemption accomplished by Christ. We can recognize our faith we can, we can recognize our faith if out of our hearts, love overflows. So, one, one crucial verse to bring all this into harmony comes from Galatians 5.6. Where, where it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, in, in other words, no matter what you do, Counts for anything. But only faith working through love. Nothing that we do makes any difference to our saving grace. What is external is immaterial and worthless. Unless... It reflects genuine, genuine internal righteousness. Faith bears the, the fruit or, 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 or the works of love. The glory of Christ 
in the gospel is not merely that we are justified when we depend entirely on him. But also that depending entirely on Christ gives us the power to make us to make us new people, to make us new loving people. The the, the power that that changes us. Depending in, entirely on Christ is how we are justified and how we are sanctified. Paul Paul struck the one note and James struck the other. Both are true. And and together they bring Christ the glory due to his name and our saving faith proves his genuine character by works of love. The person who lives by faith is internally motivated by love for God and, and Christ, which supernaturally provides a loving worship of God, a genuine obedience to His Word, and self-sacrificing love for, for others. So, if I, if I can invite the, the worship team up, please. So, what is our response to, to all of this? What do we do with what we find in in James and Paul? And a place where we can start is by self-examining ourselves and asking the question of why. Now, don't give the answer like the dumb version of me did when I was in high school. But let's ask the question. Let's ask ourselves the question. Why am I doing this for? What is the motive behind this? Am I doing it so that I can gain recognition, approval, or acceptance from others? Am I doing it because I have to or or because I can? Am I doing it to earn grace? Or am I doing it in response to that loving grace shown to me? And if you feel you are bearing no fruit. First, rest assured in the hope and promise that he who, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And secondly, actively seek after these things. Let's get up out of our butts and actively Seek after the works or, or, or fruits of the Spirit. In whichever way they materialize in your lives, but they will all bring what Galatians 5, 22, 23 tells us. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These graces... 
show the beauty of the Spirit's work in our lives. Yet we may find ourselves in, in situations where we feel unloving, impatient, unkind, or lacking in joy and self-control. All of which may occur as soon as we hit traffic or a slow driver in front of us. But we seek after these things. Being careful to discern the difference between keeping in step with the work spirit in our lives and laboring in our own strengths and abilities. When we labor in our own strengths and abilities, what will flow through us may be feelings of self-righteousness, pride, and entitlement. But when we labor in the Spirit, what will flow through us are feelings of thankfulness and rejoicement. Not in our own righteousness, but in the work of the Spirit within us. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for allowing us to hear your word today. Thank you for allowing us to study your word. I pray, Father God, that all of us in this room, as you have shown grace to us, you have shown mercy. Uh, Father God, that uh, we may do our part as well and surrender to you and, and actively seek after, after, after your fruits. Uh, Lord, that, that you give us passion for, for your word, that you give us passion for your works, uh, that if we feel stagnant, Father God, that you ignite in our hearts uh, a deeper passion uh, for you as, as the rest of our lives continue. Nothing else matters, Father God, but you crucified. And in that, I, we do thank you, you allow us to sometimes enjoy this life. Whereas many people around the world is, is not. In your name we pray. Amen.